0: So this was this was not an act actually, but having having um uh having preached since I was 18, so 1973. Uh, this is the first time that I had something like this happen. Strangely enough. So anyway, well, we'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll sit. I have no clue. All right, someone's guitar pick. I'm just, just your guitar, sacred guitar pick, moving over there. All right. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm actually by God's grace, a a picture of of health these days. <laughs> and um, yeah, as as I was speaking, I suddenly started to feel lightheaded, and I thought that's utterly bizarre, and um, uh. This whole trip, though, has been bizarre up to this point. So when, when last night we get to the airport and are going to check in, and I you, know, fly perpetually, day and night, and um, I mean, not quite literally, but uh, you know, when you fly enough, you get like on a high level on, on your, uh, your uh, airline. Well, I actually made it on two different airlines, you know, to their virtually their highest levels because I flew so much. And we get to the airport and they said, um, they said, you know, your ticket was refunded. I said, what are you talking about? This never happened. They said, your ticket was refunded. And I said, no, it wasn't. I said, I haven't. My app just told me I'm upgraded and here's the gate. And they said, no, your ticket's refunded. And Dylan my assistant same deal. So they ended up uh, la- literally last second getting me on the plane. Uh, the, the flight left at 8.05. My app said the ba- my bag was put on the flight at, at 8.02. Uh, and then Dylan, they put on a separate flight after me. So uh, I took a picture of the seat next to me that was empty. It was his seat. Uh, he actually got there to the gate, but they wouldn't let him on. They said his weight restriction. And then when we arrived, uh, you know, the bags took forever to arrive. And then, you know, in keeping with it, we got to the hotel. When I got to the hotel. The key didn't work in the rooms. It's just, you know, I mean, all these little things. But um, so we have our living illustration here um, that, uh, that sickness in and of itself is a bad thing. But, but uh, a little over three, well, over three and a half years ago, three and three quarters, um, God helped me to radically change my lifestyle. I was an unhealthy eater my entire life. I used to have Oreos for breakfast as a boy. And uh, so I was a lifelong chocoholic, you know, pizza, pasta. So I wasn't a glutton, just, just as much as an unhealthy eater. And God helped me to radically change my lifestyle beginning August 24th of 2014. In less than eight months, I went from 275 pounds to 180 pounds just by eating totally healthily. And everything changed. My blood pressure had been as high as 149 over 107. That went to about 100 over 65. My cholesterol went from 230 to 130. And the you know the, the bad cholesterol used to be high and the good was low, that reversed itself. I used to have like four headaches a week and haven't had, literally have not had a headache now in, in over three and a half years. I used to have constant lower back pain, that's gone. Energy level off the charts, immune system super high and strong now. And I had sleep apnea for years and doctors said nothing could be done about it, but I lost enough weight that it, it opened up breathing passage in the back of my throat, so I don't need a breathing machine. And uh, there's a there's a physician that I became friendly with in um, in California, who's written over 30 books and is a, an MD but also a, a natural doctor. And he uh, uh, he's you know well known his clinic is well known. He has a, a, a TV show, a weekly TV show about health on on PBS. And when I was in California recently, I, I was time for a physical. He said, "Well, I'll, I'll do the blood work for you." So they took more blood. It's like six vials of blood they took. And, and then he said, I'm going to do two tests. One is this comprehensive test of the blood. The other is going to get, do a nutrition test and tell you exactly you know, what you're getting in your body and nutrition-wise. So we got the first test back. It's 17 pages long. You know, Normally your blood test is a few items, 17 pages long. And um, went through, every, I mean, I had no clue what 90% of the stuff was. So he got on the, um, uh, on the phone with my wife and I, because and she knows all the medical stuff, went through everything, and, and then um, and he said, look, he has a lot of healthy patients that come to his clinic, and they come for the purpose of you know being proactive, and then unhealthy patients. But he said if he takes his entire clientele that I'm in the top 5% of health, and we were joking if we had done it four years earlier, the blood test probably would have, would have been the reverse. So whatever in the world happened... Yeah, I, was, uh, I, I thought, okay, I've, I've felt under it before or jet-lagged, whatever, while, while speaking. You just push through it, you know? You never even think twice about it. <laughs> I realized at a certain point that I was not going to be able to do that. Um, but I was not really conscious of the fact that, that, um, that I'd laid down on the floor for everyone to pray for me until I just thought, why am I laying here on the floor with everyone praying for me? <laughs> and then hearing my assistant talk to somebody in the background, think, who, who are you talking to? Give me all the symptoms and background, but praise the Lord. And, and then on, on top of all this, um, I've got two mics. I've got the mic where I'm speaking to all of you, yes? And then I've got this one here uh, because we were doing a Facebook live feed. Now, my Facebook page is like 560,000 people. So, you know, a lot of people can watch. So I'm thinking, oh, this is delightful. Not only am I teaching here and I'm about to faint, but um, we we're doing this live on Facebook. So um, anyway, we, we cut it early enough. Yep. Okay, before crisis and <laughs> rumors and all of this and stuff. Now, that being said, there are some critics that would be very happy if something happened. And uh, the same ones when, when the young man, Michael Brown, was killed in Ferguson a few years ago. There were activists who were upset that it wasn't me. So anyway, here we are, alive and well. So as, as we were saying, sickness in and of itself bad, destructive, negative, right? And, and uh, this one doctor had made the point about sickness, just a medical doctor, not a believer, that you'll never fulfill God's plan for your life or you'll never fulfill your own goals if you're chronically sick or die prematurely. So perfect illustration, I come here to teach on healing. If I'm sick, I can't do it, <laughs> all right? Um, and, and again, uh, nothing abstract, something very, very real that we lived out together, all right? Amen. Well, I, But the one thing I don't understand is through this whole thing, I, I only know your pastor a little bit, met him last night, seems like a really good guy, but as I'm going through this trauma, he's sitting here smiling as I tell the story, so... <laughs> smiling and laughing, so anyway, that's my attitude as well. All right, so... <laughs> all right, so Proverbs chapter 4, without skipping a beat, Proverbs 4, (laughs) verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say, listening closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. All right? Proverbs 4, beginning verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. So there's no way Proverbs being so down-to-earth as it is, Proverbs being so practical, right? Not just abstract wisdom, but how you live your life and how you work your job and how you raise your family, right? Right? and how to stay out of trouble, and all these things. Proverbs is so practical in these, in, in these regards that when we talking about healing and health, it has to mean it literally. And, and, and we even know just on, on a purely psychosomatic level that you know, if you're stressed all the time, you know, doctors will tell you more and more how stress can, can lead to all of these negative health outcomes, right? And then that makes you more stressed when you hear that, right? But that's the reality there. There are certain psychological attitudes, mental, emotional attitudes that tend to longer life or health or lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol and and, and negative emotions and attitudes that, that make things worse. Perfectly understandable. Because God made the body a certain way, right? He made us to function a certain way and we are not just physical beings. We are physical, we are emotional, mental, emotional, and spiritual. So Proverbs is literally saying that taking hold of God's word, not just spiritual life, but physical life as well. And, and you have other... Whoops. Okay, hang on. Hang on. There are two, two schools of thought, friends. There is the Baptist school of thought that when things are going wrong, you're having a bad day or it's a technical problem. There's the Pentecostal school of thought, where everything is a demon. Now it's probably unlikely that it's due to a demon that this mic fell out, the, the, the pack fell out of my back pocket. Well, let's just cover all the bases, all right? Father, in Jesus' name, <laughs> we thank you for your victory, for your blessing, and for what you're going to do this weekend. Amen. And and Lord, I'm reminded of the greatest outpouring ever experienced overseas in in Falerna, Italy. The greatest outpouring I ever experienced in 25 trips to Italy was the time that I had a different sickness every single day, plus smashed toes and cut legs and all of that. So we thank you that Jesus is Lord. We thank you for victory. We thank you for power over every demonic attack. And we thank you for what you're going to do this weekend. Not just another week out teaching, but transformation. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so going on with our adventure. When you get to the prophetic books, the prophets often use sickness and disease as a picture of the negative state of the nation. Right, so so let's let's go, for example, to to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter one. Isaiah one, and I'm gonna tell you a little story about dealing with, with the devil, all right. We lived on Long Island, our two daughters, and in the middle of the night, the middle of the night, Suddenly, one of the hall lights would go on. So we thought one of our daughters was getting out of bed, using the bathroom, sleepwalking, something. So we got on the alert for this. And the moment we saw the hall light go on, you know, I'd, I'd jump out of bed instantly and, and run out, and there's nobody in the hallway. And we go in the bedroom, and our daughter's sleeping soundly. And it kept happening. And we just had this eerie feeling like there was almost something demonic going on in the house. So Nancy got this idea of taking a piece of tape and taping the thing down. And then there was another light down the hallway, but that was not the one that was going on. It was that one that was going on. And after we taped it, somehow the demon was powerless. It stopped after we taped it. So I I think I have overcome the demon here, but I've hooked this on here now. See that? And that's going to defeat demonic powers there. There we go. Isaiah chapter (laughs) 1, Isaiah 1, verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They've forsaken the Lord, they've spurned the Holy One of Israel, turned their backs on Him. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and waltz and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or stewed with oil. Now, this is picturing the nation as a whole. This is speaking of the nation as a whole. And it's not speaking of them actually being physically sick, it's painting a picture. It would be like saying America is sick like this, or, or picture describing Detroit and a lot of the difficulties that the city has gone through in recent years, but putting it in terms of sickness and disease, right? Again, it's just a reminder that sickness and disease are negative conditions and descriptions of something negative. So when the prophets would speak of the nation being whole, when the prophets would speak of the nation repenting, it would speak of the nation being healed. So, yes, first and foremost, it was a spiritual picture right? That when Israel would return to God in repentance, that Israel would be, quote, healed, meaning forgiven. But it wasn't only a spiritual picture. For example, if Israel sinned, what would happen to the nation? If Israel sinned, it would go into exile. If Israel sinned, the temple would be destroyed. If Israel sinned, there would be people dying in the streets of starvation. There would be people killed in battle, right? The economy would collapse. A lot of terrible things would happen. There would be sickness and disease rampant. What would happen if Israel repented and turned back to the Lord? It would mean all these conditions being reversed, would it not? So another way to put it is the whole person being wholly healed. That was the vision of the prophets. So even though healing was used as a metaphor for forgiveness, and sickness was used as a metaphor for sin, all right? A sinning nation was a sick nation. A repentant nation was a healed nation. It was not only spiritual. In other words, if God said to the nation, I have healed your wounds, I have forgiven you, what would that mean? It would mean return from exile, wouldn't it? It would mean the temple being rebuilt. It would mean the end of starvation. It would mean the sick being healed it would not just be God saying, I've forgiven you while, while they were still in exile and destroyed. No, forgiveness would bring restoration. So if you look, for example, in Isaiah 53, famous verses there, it's speaking first and foremost on a spiritual level, using sickness and disease as pictures of, of sin. So Isaiah 53, verse 4 Speaking, of course, of the Messiah, "...surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed." Now the healing here is first and foremost the spiritual healing, right? Our sins, our iniquities... First and foremost is spiritual healing, but it certainly includes physical healing. Because the healing of the inner man would bring healing of the outer man. Because spiritual restoration would mean physical restoration. And so you have this as the language of the prophets. So turn with me for example to Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 30. God is speaking of judgment on the people of Judah and Israel. Jeremiah 30, verse 12. This is what the Lord says, Your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. All right, so it's talking metaphorically. You are in really, really bad condition. As a nation, you are really, really sick. Okay? There's no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. All your allies have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. I've struck you as an enemy would and punished you as would the cruel because your guilt is so great and your sins so many. Why do you cry out over your wound, your pain that has no cure? Because of your great guilt and many sins have I done these things too. So again... It's using sickness and disease as a metaphor for a messed up nation. America is really sick today. Yes. America's wounds and bruises and is in dire condition. America needs the great physician. We understand the spiritual imagery. And yet what happens? What's the promise? Verse 17. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord, because you are called an outcast, Zion for whom no one cares. This is primarily a spiritual image. This is primarily a spiritual truth, but it absolutely includes the physical. Is there any way from an old... Remember, this is Old Testament. Is there any way from an Old Testament mentality to imagine that God would say, I'm going to heal your wounds and restore you and leave them physically sick? That he would say that you are spiritually restored and spiritually blessed... And yet, physically sick and dying? No. Very contrary to the mentality. The same in chapter 33. Judgment's coming. Verse 5. This is what's going to happen to the cities. They will be filled with dead bodies of the men I will slay in my anger and wrath. I will hide my face from this city because of all its wickedness. Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they've committed against me will forgive all their sins and rebellion against me then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor for all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it, and they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. So notice again, you have sickness and disease as metaphors of guilt. God is going to heal and he's going to forgive, right? But once more I ask you, under the Sinai covenant, what did that look like? I'm the Lord, your healer. I'll take sickness and disease out of your midst. So the nation spiritually restored would be the nation physically restored. This answered one of the questions I struggled with in Isaiah 53, because I was convinced that that was just a spiritual image. By his stripes were healed, was spiritual, not physical. I was convinced of that. And yet people were saying, I stood on Isaiah 53, by his wounds I'm healed, and I was healed. I'm thinking, but that's... You know, back in those days when people were being healed, but I thought their theology was off. I thought, no, no, Isaiah 53 is about spiritual healing, not physical healing. Why are they, quote, claiming it for themselves and and believing it, and now they're being physically healed? Well, the reason is because spiritual healing and physical healing are intertwined. Because the, the healing of the inside can bring the healing of the outside. Because the same blood that forgives our sins provides the antidote for all of our sickness and disease and, and ultimately gets us resurrected bodies where we won't be sick anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, let me show you something really interesting as we move to the New Testament, okay? And we'll go from Isaiah 53 into the New Testament and begin to look at the healing ministry of Jesus. And remember, Jesus comes and begins ministering to Jewish people living under the Sinai Covenant and now announces the coming of the kingdom. All right? So, a simple question for you. If sickness and disease, terrible illness, were curses under the Sinai covenant, would they now become blessings under the new and better covenant? Those things that were destructive and that cut life short and that were debilitating, would those now become things that that God brought to shower us with goodness? Let's back up for a minute. And ask the question, why is there sickness and disease in this world? Same reason that there's death in this world. Same reason that we have wars in this world. Same reason that, that people are messed up. Sin, right? Not all sickness is directly re- related to, to specific sin, right? We know that explicitly. The man born blind, Jesus says, it's not because he sinned or his parents. God's going to be glorified through him. But we know, though, that... Sin brought sickness, death, destruction into this world. all right? In heaven is there going to be sickness? No. no. Uh, are we going to have prisons in heaven? No. no. We're going to have hospitals in heaven. No. Mental hospitals. No. There will be many policemen in heaven, but are you going to need police? No. We can have a theological debate about whether pets go to heaven, but are you, need a, are you going to need a guard dog? Right. No. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be many lawyers in heaven, but are you going to need lawyers to plead your case? No. Are are you going to need high blood pressure medication? No. Uh, Cancer drugs? Chemotherapy? No, why? Why? Because there's no sin in heaven. Right. Right? All this stuff is on the earth because of sin. And because of sin, all this destruction. All right? In heaven, absence of sin is going to mean the absence of all these other things. So when Jesus comes bringing the kingdom, it's not like he's bringing the kingdom filled with sin and sickness and demons. Rather, he's driving out demons. He's healing the sick. He's driving out sickness. And throughout the New Testament, you will find demons and disease put side by side. Why? Because in and of themselves, they are both negative and destructive. Let me say it again. There are godly people who are sick, There are godly people who are chronically ill. There are godly people who are born with disabilities and have lifelong disabilities. We're not evaluating your spiritual condition based on whether you're sick or not. We're simply saying that the Old Testament mentality of sickness and disease in themselves being bad things are reinforced in the New Testament. They are reinforced. And demons and disease often go hand in hand in the New Testament. We're going to look at a few examples of that and then go back to Isaiah 53 and the New Testament. Everybody with me so far? I don't need to do another demonstration, do I? Okay, all right, we're good here. All right. All right, so Matthew 4. So we just move over into the New Testament? Matthew 4, beginning verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now why is he doing that? Why is he doing it? Because he is now coming with the full manifestation of God. He's going to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is going to bring the kingdom of God. So where he goes, the kingdom goes. Don't think of it as a location. Think of it as God's rule and God's reign. Wherever he goes, the rule and reign of God go. So, verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, and those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So here you have demons and disease mentioned side by side. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. I'm skipping over Matthew 8 for a reason, which also mentions this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now we can debate, do we have this authority or not? Was this just for the 12? We'll come back to that, all right? But what's clear is that demons and disease are in the same category. They're in the same negative category. You you put them side by side, okay? So, you know, just like we would put funerals and mourning and sadness side by side and weddings and joy and celebration side by side, right? So also, demons and disease are put side by side often in the new testament I'll give you another example matthew chapter 12 verse 22 matthew 12:22 then they brought him a demon possessed man who was blind and mute and jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see so the man is demon possessed he's blind and mute When he's healed, obviously, the demon leaves because they now have a discussion as to how he's driving out demons. So the demon did not make him healthy. The demon made him sick. Now, in my years, as I was in that cold period from late 70s to early 80s, I was a committed believer, serious about my faith and taking action in many, many ways with my faith, but I had left my first love and my theology had shifted and I was hostile to a lot of Pentecostal preaching about healing. I remember I was listening to this Texas evangelist one day. So he was the stereotype of everything I was rejecting. He had the accent. He had that kind of simple style of ministry. And I remember him saying, you know, in Bible days, it was the devil made people sick and Jesus made them whole. Today, they tell us it's Jesus who makes him sick and the devil who makes him whole. And I remember I got so mad at him, but I knew his argument was a good argument. I was like, gnashing my teeth listening to the guy, but I knew his point was a good point. And then I heard another preacher say, people pray, Lord, if it be your will, heal. All right? Lord, if it be your will, heal. He said, so you pray, Lord, if it be your will, heal me, and you're not healed. He said, so then why do you go to the doctor to get rid of the will of God? You know, if God, if your will, heal me. No. So now, I, why am I going to the doctor? If God said no, well, obviously the answer would be, well, he's not going to do it miraculously, but I can go and get it done, you know, naturally. But isn't that a bit of a contradiction? Okay, so we know in, in Matthew 17, there's a, a demonized boy, and when the demon leaves him, he's healed, right? The boy with epileptic-type seizures, Then we we get into Mark, the 6th chapter. Mark, chapter 6. And look at verse 12. Again, Jesus sending out the 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Once again, you have this same combination of driving out demons and healing the sick. And I've told people for years, you want a good ministry, do what they did. Go out, preach that people should repent, drive out demons, heal the sick. Now you get to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. It's similar to what we read in Matthew 10. So Luke chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. God gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure disease. Again, you you see the reinforcing of everything we've seen in the Old Testament. Sickness in and of itself being a bad thing, but now being associated in the same category as demons and disease. Here, Category one, darkness, sin, devil, demons. And that category is disease. Other category, God, light, healing, love. That, that's the other category. They're in different categories, totally. And it's it's that black and white in the New Testament. Now look in Luke 13. Verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. It was not the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not the Holy Spirit. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you were set free from your infirmity. So notice the infirmity is something that bound her, right? Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for works to come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. So under Jewish law that had developed at that time and was developing, you could do something in an emergency on the Sabbath. But something that could be done on any other day, you didn't do. Right? So healing, you could do on any other day. You know, practicing medicine, you could do on any other day. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. Wow. So she was bound by Satan. A demonic spirit bound her for 18 years. And when Jesus healed her, he set her free. Now now look a little later on in Luke 13. Some Pharisees come to give Jesus a warning that Herod wants to kill him. Notice what he says in verse 32. Go tell that fox I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow and on the third day I'll reach my goal. So he describes his ministry activity as driving out demons and healing the sick. All right? Now, go over to Acts chapter 10, a well-known verse. As Peter is talking about the ministry of Jesus... Acts chapter 10, it says in verse 38, he's explaining how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good, now notice this, and healing all who were under the power of the devil, for God was with him. So it doesn't say he drove out demons from those who were demonized, And it doesn't say he healed those who were sick, but he healed all who were under the power of the devil. So being bound by sickness was being under the power of the devil. It doesn't mean the person has demonized themselves. It doesn't mean that they are sinful or unclean. It means that the, the devil's got that physical grip. He's oppressing them, and Jesus set them free. So again, demons and disease, Satan and disease, hand in hand. And then if we look, for example, hands-on ministry in the book of Acts, say say Acts the 8th chapter, the ministry of Philip in Samaria, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So here, healing the sick, driving out demons, going hand in hand. And this was Philip, not one of the apostles, but just another man full of the Spirit. All right, so now let's go back to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, and we're going to open up something that to me was tremendously helpful. Matthew chapter 8. And we'll start in verse 14. Jesus has just completed the Sermon on the Mount, and the next thing he does is he begins to put into action his kingdom teaching. He heals the man with leprosy or severe skin condition. Then the centurion's servant is miraculously healed. Then verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. And he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. Right, so once again, driving out demons, healing the sick, there's tremendous overlap. In some cases, the people who are demon-possessed are physically sick. In some cases, people are just physically sick. In some cases, they're just demon-possessed. But they're all in that same bad negative category. And Jesus bringing the kingdom, manifesting the will of the Father... Showing God's heart, right? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He now drives out demons, heals the sick, and it is to fulfill what is written in Isaiah 53. This is to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now, Matthew's writing in Greek. Isaiah 53 is written in Hebrew. This is Matthew's own translation. We don't have any other ancient Greek translation that translates this literally physical sicknesses and, and diseases. The ancient translations make it spiritual, like it's you know, forgiveness of sin and so on. No, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. All right, so how is this explained? If you'll look, for example, at the MacArthur Study Bible, representing comprehensive teaching from a, a certain perspective. You know, every study Bible brings the, you know, the perspective of, of the people working on it. Pastor MacArthur explains there what what many others understand. That when it says in Isaiah 53, he was carrying our sicknesses and diseases, that that was fulfilled in the healing ministry of Jesus, right? That's when he took up our infirmities, carried our diseases. That's what Matthew tells us during his healing ministry. He then dies on the cross for our sins through which we receive spiritual healing and forgiveness. So in other words, you have two separate categories. On the earth, he fulfilled Isaiah 53 by carrying our sicknesses and pains, his healing ministry. On the cross, he dies for our sins to bring us forgiveness. So the moment we're saved, our sins are forgiven, but it doesn't mean our bodies are healed. And it would be wrong, Pastor MacArthur and many others would say, to say that there is physical healing in the atonement, or that by by Jesus' stripes we're physically healed. No, they would say, He fulfills Isaiah 53, carries our sicknesses and pains during his earthly ministry, as Matthew tells us. He dies on the cross for our sins, two separate categories. Therefore, you cannot say in any sense that healing is in the atonement. And then they'd say, look, the moment you're saved, you're forgiven, you have eternal life. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus is, and yet many people put their trust in Jesus for healing and they're not healed, that's because healing is not automatic. Healing is in the atonement. It makes sense. There's only one problem with this argument. Is everybody with me on what I'm saying? If you're not, just look at me kind of dumbfounded. <laughs> okay, some of you. All right. Let, let me, it's not your fault. It's just...